Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible's open up to Matthew, the seventh chapter. Matthew chapter 7, that's where we're going to be for the entirety of the lesson today. We're just going to work right down there at the very end of Matthew chapter 7. Be here all morning long, so get those Bibles opened up. We'll be looking at some familiar passages and some very simple passages and some very simple ideas today. But sometimes what we need to do is just go right back to the beginning, to some fundamentals and some simple ideas, powerful ideas nonetheless. And that's what we're going to do today in Matthew chapter 7. It's great to have the opportunity to be with you today and to get the chance once again to worship God and to study from His Word and uh, to be provoked by it. We've been enjoying just a series of nice days this past week here for uh, the early part of December and I'm glad to be able to uh, be together with you today and to be able to open up the Scriptures. Let's read together in Matthew chapter 7. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. I'm reading here beginning in verse 24. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What you are looking at here is a photo of the world-famous Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy. It is one of the most recognizable structures in all of the world. Every day, thousands of tourists visit that iconic structure, and every day, thousands of tourists take the obligatory photo of the famous tower with the famous tilt. The Tower of Pisa was built back in the 12th century and it took nearly 200 years before it was completed. What many people do not know though is that before the third of its eight stories was completed in construction, eight stories total, before even the third floor got finished, the tower was already leaning. Now engineers attempted to correct the lean by building the remaining floors at a slant, thinking that somehow that would offset it, but all of the additional weight that was built just caused the tower to lean further and further as the centuries went by. In fact, by 1990, the top of the tower was leaning a full 17 feet further than the bottom of the tower. That, of course, prompted local officials to temporarily close the tower, during which time engineers completed a $25 million renovation project to try and stabilize the tower. All told, they were able to reduce the lean by about 16 inches, and they were able to slow down any future shifting that the tower is inevitably going to make. Now, right about now, you're probably wondering, well, Josh... What exactly was it that was causing the problem that made that tower lean? You know, was it just a bad design? Was the guy who drew the blueprints and the architect, was he just not very good at his job? Was it a matter of shoddy workmanship? The workers there, they just weren't really skilled at what they did? Was it an issue of just bad materials, just bad wood, bad stone, bad cement? What exactly was going on there? Actually, actually none of those things was the problem. The problem with the Leaning Tower of Pisa was what was going on underneath the tower. Because the Leaning Tower of Pisa from the very get-go had foundation issues. That sandy soil where it was built and located, it was not sturdy and not strong enough to hold what would end up being a 16-ton building. 
Not to mention the fact that the original builders, when they dug down into the ground to begin laying the foundation, they only dug about 10 feet into the ground. That's not very far at all for what would end up being a 186-foot tower. All of that means that this tower was doomed from the start. What the Leaning Tower of Pisa testifies to is the kind of problems that you can expect whenever you don't begin with the right foundation. And you know what? That is exactly the point that Jesus is pressing us toward here in Matthew the 7th chapter. For three chapters now, Jesus has preached arguably the greatest sermon of all time. He's preached in great detail about the kingdom of God, what it means to live as a citizen in the kingdom of God. Now it's time to conclude the sermon. It's time to wrap it up. How do you think Jesus is going to end the Sermon on the Mount? Do you think He's going to end it with a whimper? No, sir. He's going to end it with a bang. Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount by doing what He does better than anybody else. He tells a story. He tells a parable that challenges his listeners to act. Jesus says, all right, I've taught you a whole bunch of stuff about a whole bunch of stuff. I've talked to you in great detail about the kingdom of God and being a citizen in the kingdom of God. The question now is, what are you going to do as a result of everything that I've just said? Will you build your life? Will you build it with the right foundation. And this morning, in as many ways as I possibly can, I'm just going to repeatedly ask you that same question. Are you building with the right foundation? Are you building your life on the rock? Are you building your life on Jesus Christ? That's what the parable of the builders is all about. Now, This parable is relatively short and it's really not all that complicated and hard to understand but I would take just a moment to make sure that we're all on the same page with Jesus here and understand what's going on. For example, when Jesus talks about building on the rock, we understand that to mean, architecturally speaking, a strong and sturdy foundation. However, you need to know that in the Old Testament, that kind of language was used of the rock, that that was oftentimes an image for God. Like in Deuteronomy 32, or in Psalm chapter 18, where God is referred to as the rock, as our rock. And not surprisingly, in later passages in the New Testament, It is Jesus who is referred to as the rock. Places like 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Peter chapter 2 speak about Christ as the rock, as the cornerstone. And so we understand when we see that term used in Scripture in this way that there is a a spiritual connotation to that. It's not just architectural advice. There's a spiritual understanding here to the idea of building on the rock. Jesus is stressing the importance of a person building their life on the Lord Himself. And maybe I ought to say something here about the idea of foundations. Because it may be hard for us to totally grasp and wrap our mind around the idea of building on a rock. 
You know, in ancient times, in order to build a a sturdy house, you had to start by digging way deep down into the ground. And you had to do that without the benefit of bulldozers and backhoe equipment. You had to dig really deep until you got down to the flat bedrock. Now that, of course, would be very time-consuming and that would require a lot of work, but it was absolutely necessary because you have to affix your house to something that's going to be strong, something that's going to be permanent, something that's going to be heavy and solid. And the truth of the matter is, we do the same thing today when we build houses, except instead of digging for a rock, we just, well, we just make one. We just lay out a slab of concrete. We pour some cement. We put down some cinder blocks. We put something down that's strong, something that isn't going to easily go anywhere, something that's heavy and solid. And why? Because storms come. That's why. And Jesus describes storms here in this parable. He describes the kind of storms that were commonplace in the hot, dry climates of the Middle East where you'd have big winds and torrential rainfall that would produce sudden and unexpected rivers. We have a term for that. We call that a flash flood. And here in South Central Kentucky, from time to time, we have those, don't we? Somebody maybe builds a house down next to, you know, it's their dream cottage. They're going to build it down to this nice little babbling brook. It's so peaceful, it's so calm, it's so serene when they pictured it. But then one day it, it rains. And then it rains some more. And before you know it, that calm little babbling brook, it's now becoming a swollen creek. And then it rains even more. And then it keeps on raining. Before you know it, that swollen creek is now becoming a raging river. And now the waters are out of its banks. In fact, the water is creeping and making its way closer and closer to the house. And you've seen this before. You've seen it on the news. Maybe you've watched videos on YouTube before. Suddenly that torrent is completely out of control and it ends up sweeping away everything in its path. That is a power. That's the kind we see that happen, and it takes our breath away to watch someone's house be washed away by the rains. And that's a powerful image, especially in light of Old Testament passages and images that describe the judgment of God as a storm, as a flood. And I think for that reason, I do believe Jesus is talking about more than just the, the storms of life that causes problems, that tests our faith and you know, pushes our spiritual house to the limits. I do think it includes that, but I think the storms here are talking about a whole lot more than just those everyday storms we experience. I believe most importantly, they're talking about the storm, the flood, the judgment of God, and will I get swept away in His wrath? Jesus wants to know, Do you anchor your life to Him and to His Word and so be able to stand when the storms come? Jesus wants to know, are you building your life on the rock? I don't know about you, but that is something that I want to know everything about that I possibly can. Because the truth of the matter is, I am somewhere in this parable. You are somewhere in this parable. Am I the wise man? Or am I the foolish man? Let's find out. 
I want to set before you this morning four transformational truths from the parable here in Matthew chapter 7. Four truths that have the power to change us, to get us exactly where we need to be in light of eternity. That is, if we will allow it. And that all begins with truth number one, and that is this, and that is that doing, doing God's Word is what matters the very most. In fact, I'll make an argument that that is entirely what this parable is about. Would you just look once again at how the parable starts? How does it start in verse 24? Verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see, it's about doing, isn't it? Talk is cheap, but doing... Doing is what really matters here. Now, for those who get to hear me preach or have to hear me preach on a regular basis, folks here at Lakeside will tell you that one of the constant themes that I am always stressing from this pulpit is the importance of Bible reading. We're just always doing things to try to encourage regular daily reading of God's Word. We're nearing the end of 2020, and right here is 2021's right around the corner. We're fixing to have a brand new Bible reading schedule for the year 2021. Do that every single year here to encourage folks to read your Bible every day. I do that regularly when I'm standing in the pulpit. I want folks to be looking in the Bible. In fact, the very first thing I say when I stand in the pulpit is what? Get your Bibles out. Open it up. Follow along. I am very pro-Bible. I want people to read and study the Word of God. And that is critically important, that each and every one of us be regular Bible readers. But don't fool yourself. Don't be confused for a moment that somehow Bible reading in and of itself pleases the Lord. It's a start. It's a good start. But it is a futile start if that hearing and that reading doesn't lead to doing. Hearing and reading and knowing the teachings of God's Word, they are only worthwhile when they result in the application of those truths to our lives. And by the way, this isn't the only place where this kind of point is made in Scripture. I think maybe probably most well-known for me would be in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 where James says, don't just be a hearer of the Word. Don't trick yourself and fool yourself when you look into the mirror and then you turn away and you don't do anything about that. No, he says, it is the doer who acts. That's the one who will be blessed in his doing. In fact, Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, this isn't even the first time that he said something about doing God's Word. Would you just bump back up? Look look right above the parable in verse 21. In verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, look at there. People who who say, Lord, Lord, these people who know something about God. They've heard God's Word, at least some of it. They've read some of God's Word. But they're not going to get to go into the kingdom of heaven. Why? but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, it's about doing, isn't it? It's not just about hearing some things. I wonder sometimes, I wonder, I wonder if we really believe that. I wonder if we really buy this point here about doing, doing God's Word that that's what matters the most. You know, have you ever imagined what it would have been like to, to have lived during the first century, during the, in the New Testament world? You ever thought about what it would have been like to have heard Jesus preach in person? To maybe have been physically present for the Sermon on the Mount. To get to be sitting on that hillside as Jesus says these amazing things in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
We taught in the Gospel of Mark back uh, on our Wednesday night class uh, a couple of months ago. And regularly I'd talk with folks after services and folks would regularly say, Man, you ever thought about what it would be like to have been there? How amazing that would have been to have seen those things, to have heard those things personally? And I think sometimes what we'd like to think is we'd like to think that, man, if, if, if I could just have the words of Jesus literally and directly falling on my ears, going into my ear canals and then hitting my brain, I think that just that in and of itself, that would have such a transforming effect on my life. That would just do so much for me. That would just have such a profound spiritual effect on me. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, no it won't. No, it won't. Just hearing my word, it isn't going to do you any good unless you're going to do what I'm telling you. In fact, that's what Jesus says. Would you look in verse 26 once again? In verse 26, Jesus says there, He says there that everyone who hears these words of mine, and and listen, there were people there that day at at the mountain. They were hearing His words. And then He says, who hears them and does not do them. I imagine there was people that day who heard Jesus and they walked away and they didn't do what He said. And Jesus says those people will be like foolish people who built their house on the sand. You see, hearing alone, it's not enough. The hearing has to lead to doing. Now, can I maybe sharpen on that for just a moment or two? How many people have heard the gospel message Many, many, many times before, they can recite those five steps in God's plan of salvation. They can do that in their sleep, blindfolded. They have heard thousands of sermons. They have sat in hundreds of Bible classes, and yet, and yet they have never obeyed the gospel. They have never came forward and said, I want to be baptized into Christ. I want to become a New Testament Christian. Do you see how easy it is to say, well, hey, I I got up early on a Sunday morning. I, I, I heard a good sermon from the Word of God. All is well with me and the Lord. Jesus says, think again. Think again. Just hearing my Word doesn't do you any good at all if you're not going to do my Word. In fact, all the hearing in the world isn't going to help you when the storms come if you're not actively doing what I say. Can I maybe sharpen on that a little bit more? How many Christians have heard the Word of God on subjects like anger or gossip or lust or materialism or whatever other subject it might be and yet we still allow those same things, those same sins to dominate our lives and to keep us enslaved? What happened there? I heard lots of sermons on that subject before. I know everything I need to know from the Word of God about that. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Somehow all of that hearing did not translate into doing so that we could then bring ourselves into conformity with Jesus Christ. We've got to do better than that. We do. We've got to do better than that. That's why after every single hearing of a sermon, after participating in every single Bible class, after every single personal encounter with reading the Word of God, I need to ask myself, what am I going to do as a result of what I've just heard? What actions do I need to take in my life as a result of what I have, have I just read? I need Bible hearing and I need Bible reading to become Bible living. If I fail to do that, then in the words of Jesus, 
I'm a fool. It's doing. Doing the Word of God is what matters the very most here. And guess what? You get to choose about that. You do. You get to have a say in the matter. You get to choose whether you're going to do God's will or whether you're not. Which leads me to this second truth, and that is, well, that is that there are only two choices. Do you see that in the story? How many builders are in the parable? Just two. How many different foundations are there in the parable? Again, this isn't a trick question. There's only two. Jesus intentionally limits the number of choices to two. Now, what we'd really like here is for there to maybe be some some other builders in the story. Maybe, for instance, a guy who's building partially on the sand and then the other part of his house is over here on the rock. He's kind of getting the best of both worlds at the same time. Or maybe we'd like a fellow who's building two separate houses. He's got his house over here on the rock and that's where he visits on Sunday. But then he's got this other house over here on the sand and that's where he lives Monday through Saturday. Jesus comes along in this story and he says, Nope, nuh-uh. Not going to be any of this 50-50 stuff. There's no option C, D, E, or F. Nope, it's either rock or sand. It's either wise or foolish. It's either life or death. And you know what? This is something that we see Jesus doing all of the time in the Gospels. He's always dividing people into two specific distinct groups. Jesus says, you're either with me or you're against me. Matthew 12 verse 30. You are either a sheep or you are a goat, Matthew 25, 33. You are either living on the rock or you are living on the sand, but you need to understand this one thing, and that is that there is no middle ground. And you know what? There may be a million different reasons as to why people don't live on the rock. Somebody maybe says, well, I just, uh, I, I just never did get around to it. I had intentions to, but I just never have yet. Or somebody else says, well, you know, in my mind, I just thought that just kind of being a, just kind of being a spiritual person, you know, kind of having a, a quasi-emotional attachment to Jesus, that that, that that was good enough. I'm not all into that obedience stuff, but, but I love Jesus. Or maybe somebody says, you know what, I was drugged to church all my life as a child, and I just resented my parents for that, and so I'm not obeying the gospel because I'm just kind of sticking it back to them. Whatever it is, it really doesn't matter. Because when the storms come, storms don't listen to excuses. All the storm does is it reveals the consequences of my choice. Did I make the wise choice to build on the rock? Or did I make the foolish choice to build on the sand? When the storms come, we're all going to find out, aren't we? which would lead me to truth number three. And that is that whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not, you are already building right now. I I really think this is the forgotten or maybe just the overlooked truth of this parable. That you and I, we are making decisions right now that are determining what kind of foundation our life is built upon. Which means we need to come to grips with the fact that we cannot wait until the storms come 
To decide that, oh, okay, okay, now, now I'm going to slide a good sturdy foundation under my life and everything will be okay. No, no, that's, that's never going to work. But you know what? People sure do like to try. In fact, with the Leaning Tower of Pisa, that's what's been attempted for years and years and years. Instead of just stripping the whole thing down and starting all over, people have tried to put band-aids on something that is hemorrhaging. And people today, in their daily lives, they try to put band-aids when they are hemorrhaging. You think about in the Bible. In the Bible, there are numerous examples of people who came to the realization that they needed to do right. They needed to get right with God. They needed to obey the Lord, but they came to that realization way too late. For example, in the days of Noah, don't you imagine that after about the fourth or fifth straight day of raining, that there was probably a big mad dash down to the public library to find some books on how to build an ark? But it was too late by then. Or don't you imagine that in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, when the fire and the brimstone began to fall from the sky, don't you imagine there was people running around saying, Where's Lot? Where's Lot? Can somebody show me where Lot is? I need to talk to Lot. I need Lot to tell me about his God. I need Lot to tell me about how to live righteously. Tell Lot, Lot tell me how it is that I can avoid the wrath and judgment of God. But, but again, it was too late. The time was done past. And there's lots of people like that in the Bible. King Saul came to that realization too late. The king of Babylon who saw the handwriting on the wall. Lots of people who realized, oh yes, I've got to get right with God. I need to do right. I need to obey. The storm clouds are coming. I can see them. I need to do what God says. But, but they came to that realization much too late. Jesus is warning us about that. Because Jesus wants us to know that it is really, really hard to pour yourself a good solid foundation when it's already raining. And I know that even as I am speaking this morning, that there are people who are listening and hearing what I'm saying right now, and they're thinking to themselves, yes, Josh, yes, that's, that's right, you're right. The Bible is right. I ought to do what Jesus says. I, 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 I need to become a Christian. I do. There's just no two ways about that. Or you know what, I am a Christian, but I'm not living like I should, and I need to be a better Christian. That's absolutely right. And you know what, one of these days, brother, one of these days I'm going to do that. Not, not now, not like immediately. I mean, i got lots of other irons in the fire. got some other stuff that I'm involved in. got some other fun that i got to kind of get out of my system first. But certainly, one of these days, definitely before I die, I'm going to get over there and I'm going to live my life on the rock of Jesus Christ. And it seems to me that people who think that and people who even say that, they really don't get what Jesus means when He talks here about the house. What's the house in the parable? The house is your life. It is your life that you are living right now. And every decision that you make in your life right now is causing you to build more and more on that house. It's everything. It's, if you're a young person, it's, it's where you decide to go to college. It's what uh, path you choose to study and what career you pursue. It's if you get married, and if so, who you get married to. It's whether or not you'll have children. And if you do have children, how are you going to raise those children? 
It's who your friends are. It's the places that you go. It's the clothing that you wear. It's the activities that you involve yourself in. It's all of that stuff and so much more. Your life is the house. And you are, in the words of Jesus, you are constructing that right now. And not surprisingly, this is one of the reasons that many people never even become Christians. Because once you get your house all built, well, well, how do you now slide a foundation underneath it? I mean, come on. I'm already living my life the way that I want to live it. And for me to, to, to somehow change all of that now, that, that would just be enormously difficult. It would be costly. It would be painful. It would mean maybe that I would have to give up certain activities. It would mean that maybe I would have to give up certain friends and people that I hang out with. It would mean that I'd have to maybe even give up a job. It might even mean I'd have to get out of an unscriptural marriage. And I'll just be honest with you. I don't want to do that. It's too much work. It's too uncomfortable. It's too unpleasant. Don't you see? I've already got my life all arranged and set up just the way that I dreamed that it was going to be. I've got my dream house, so to speak. And so for me to get right with God and live on the rock, what that means is, is that means I'd have to tear my house down and start all over and I don't want to do it. And you know what? Every passing minute that you choose to stay over on the sand, however you've rationalized that in your mind, every minute that's passing, you are making you're making it more and more difficult for you to ever get over on the rock. As you put more and more house up, you are making it more and more difficult to ever get over on the solid foundation. Until finally, if you stick with it long enough, finally you'll end up reaching a point where you can't even conceive. You wouldn't even entertain the notion of tearing this house down and starting all over on the rock. In fact, we have a word for that that's called hard-heartedness. And that's why I'll say to you one more time. You and I are in the building process right now. You are. Don't be fooled by all that stuff about one of these days. No, 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 no. You are deciding right now. As one writer put it, he said, there is no such thing as a non-decision that suspends the movement of time and history. That's exactly right. There is not anything such as a non-decision. You're deciding it. You are putting up house right now. You're either doing that on the sand or you're doing it on the rock, but you're doing that even as we speak. And I would surely hope and I would pray that you are building it on the rock because fourthly and finally this morning, failure, failure is just absolutely un thinkable. There is a term that rose to popularity, I suppose, I don't know, somewhere around the turn of the century. And that is during the internet age, we have come to hear this phrase known as an epic fail. In fact, that word and phrase is kind of even passed over into just modern vernacular in usage. But if you go on the internet, you'll find lots of usage of that term epic 
fail. In fact, there are actually entire websites that are devoted to spotlighting people who have done things that are so absurdly ridiculous. They are such colossal failures that the whole website's just devoted to cataloging epic fails. It's actually a cake website for cake fails. People who have attempted to, to bake cakes but have made just a terrible mess of that. It's one of my favorites to look at. I'll share with you a couple of examples of pictures worth a thousand words. Here, for example, is a beautiful cake of Olaf from Frozen. And you can see exactly how that turned out for that person. Yep, that's, that's an epic fail. Or what about this one of Minnie Mouse? Uh, Minnie, um, <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like Minnie has been eating the cake. Uh, that's what's going on there. This one is my absolute favorite. Here's one of Elmo from Sesame Street. And yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit creepy. You know, if you get that cake for your birthday, what you're going to get is you're going to get nightmares that is a failure of the most epic proportion when it comes to cake baking. And certainly in all of those instances, the person or persons who were behind those things, yeah, they, they probably were laughed at. They probably felt embarrassed. They probably felt humiliated. They probably felt the weight of that failure. But you need to understand this morning that what Jesus is describing in Matthew the 7th chapter, it dwarfs them all. What Jesus describes here in this parable is the most epic failure of all time. In fact, it's really even beyond failure. It is a combination of foolishness and stubbornness which leads to hard-heartedness that ultimately results in fatal disaster. Look again at the parable. Look at verse 27. Jesus says that the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against that house and it fell, and great, epic was the fall of it. I don't know about you, but my first memories of this parable came in Bible class as a youngster. And we would be learning about Matthew chapter 7, and that teaching would be reinforced with that, that song. Do you know the song that I'm talking about? We sing it with our kids from time to time. Sing it a lot during VBS. The song about the wise man and the foolish man. And how's that song end? It says, the foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains came down and the floods came up and the foolish man's house went splat. And we'd sing that in Bible class and we just splat. We just would laugh. We'd try to make that just as loud as we possibly could. When I sing it with the kids during VBS, everybody's just splat. And oh man, it's just so much fun to make that house fall. But you know what? It's not very fun when the house that goes splat is your life. You know, Jesus did not tell this parable just so four-year-olds would have another excuse to make loud noises in Bible class. No. Jesus tells this story to awaken us to the sobering reality that when you build your house on the sand, you are setting yourself up for the very worst kind of failure. You know, you may fail in a lot of different ways in life. You may fail in school. You may fail on the job. You may fail in a business endeavor. You may fail in love. I, I pray that you do not fail in any of those ways. But you know what? None of those things. None of those things compare with this kind of failure. A failure to build on the rock. A failure to obey the word of the Lord, which means in the storms and in the trials of life, 
And then ultimately, even worse, in the final storm, it means utter and total failure. It means to lose your soul. In fact, when you're reading Matthew 7 and verse 27 and it talks about how the house fell and great was the fall of it, that's what you need to read into that. You need to read that man lost his soul. He went to hell. You know what? If there is ever anything that we need to get right, it's this right here. That I will do more than just hear. I will do more than just passively listen to Jesus. I will hear Him and I will obey Him. Because to do otherwise, to do otherwise would be to fail eternally. There are unthinkable, eternal consequences that are associated with building one's house on something other than the rock. Jesus says, don't do that. You have an alternative. Build your life on me. And so, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. It is a stunning end to an incredible sermon. And the more that we think about the truths that this parable conveys the more its razor-sharp edge cuts deeply into our heart and into our soul. Because it challenges us to ask ourselves, what foundation am I building on? And I need to just ask you personally this morning, if you are building your life on a foundation other than the rock, Jesus Christ, what is it? What is it that you think could somehow have the same effect as building on Christ? Are you building your life on your job? Are you building your life on on a relationship with another person? Are you building your life on your hobbies and your recreation? Whatever it is, fill in the blank with whatever you want there. If that blank has anything in it other than Christ, then in the words of that song that we often sing, all other ground is sinking sand. My prayer today is that you and I, we will build on the one and only solid foundation and that is the rock that is Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Let's go to God in prayer about that. Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father we come before you this morning thanking you for your word. We thank you for the one who spoke these words in Matthew chapter 7. We thank you for your son and for the powerful way in which he was able to articulate these important and fundamental truths. Father, we pray that the parable of the builders will have a profound effect upon each and every one of us, that we will each one examine our lives, and that we will seriously consider what it is that we are building our lives upon. 
Father, we pray that You would help us. That we would not simply be just listeners and hearers of Your Word, admirers of Your Word. Help us, Father, to be doers of Your Word. Help us, Father, to recognize that there is a choice to be made. And that choice is really already made for us. And that is the only right choice, and that is to build on Christ. We thank You for what He did for us, for His sacrifice on the cross that makes that option available to us, that we might be able to have security, and we might be able to stand, and that we might one day be able to live with You in Your house forevermore. We thank You so much for Jesus. We pray that You would bless these words in our hearts, and we pray, Father, especially that Your patience and Your long-suffering would continue with those who have yet to build their life upon Christ. Help them, Father, to realize the urgency of their situation and that they may take decisive action before it is too late. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for the gift of Your Son. And it is through His name that we offer this prayer. And Amen.